Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And as you notice, our fearless leader, Jamie, is not with us today. Uh, he's having uh, some family health issues, so please send good vibes, thoughts, and prayers his way. And we Definitely. do thank him for his service and his graciousness in allowing us to tackle this excuse me this movie the rocketeer uh, out here so uh this week we're reviewing 1991 timothy dalton jennifer conley paul sorvino alan arkin and a lot of other people who didn't really go on to do a whole lot that i've noticed the rocketeer Sam. All right. So the Rocketeer, as Dwayne said, is our pick. And it was my pick uh, in our draft. So I'm very interested to see where this goes tonight. Because, Dwayne, I believe you told me that you had not ever seen this movie. So first experience with it. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. Well, I'm really uh, excited to discuss this, and especially with it being a Disney movie, of course, uh, this was to be found on Disney+. And I am a Disney fan, but before we go into our thoughts and grades, it's time to keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. Okay, now this is the part of the show where we take 100 seconds and share with you, our audience, and even each other, something that we've discovered, something that we've gotten into here lately um, in the realm of pop culture. And I'm going to lead off first. And Sam, I'm not going to take 100 seconds. Okay. I've got two words. Avengers Assemble. Uh-oh. 2012's The Avengers. Uh, you have Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo coming in as the Hulk, Black Widow and uh, Hawkeye, Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner reprising their roles, and the ever-lovely Samuel Jackson bringing together this Marvel Universe. Uh, This is something I revisit. I've been revisiting a couple of the Marvel movies this week. with uh, with the kids just kind of in some downtime and this one is always a high point of the collection and i just want to bring some light to it i know we're still processing in game and infinity war captain marvel the stuff that's happening you know building up there we're all digging the spider verse but this is really where everything congealed and come together and just shown us how great a plan disney and marvel studios had for this franchise so 2012's The Avengers. If you haven't watched it in a while, check it out. You're missing out. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. You know, I not too long ago, I went back through a number of those, and a lot of them still hold up. So I was really, really, really pleased with that. So Avengers, you know, I love the fact that, that you did a revisit on something. Because for my Keep It at 100, I did the same exact thing. 
Awesome. All right. So I recently revisited Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's limited series, Dark Knight's Metal. Um, when the series was coming out issue by issue, it was a tough read. There were late shipments, all kinds of tie-ins. So using my DC Universe app for as long as I have it, because I just don't know what's going to happen, um, <laughs> I wanted to go back and read this complete story. And, you know, it was so much better in a binge reading scenario where you could just sit down and tie it all together in one story. Uh, you know, it ties together things from the original Crisis on Infinite Earths through Grant Morrison's Multiversity and just everywhere in between. It's just this love letter to DC history. Um, with the bookend out now, Dark Knight's Death Metal, you get to see the breadcrumbs that were la uh, laid that have been kind of affecting the DCU for probably two years now. So if you haven't read it or if you haven't reread this series or a different series, maybe you haven't looked at it in a while, check it back out. And so that's why Dark Knight's Metal is my Keeping It 100. Well, anything with metal in the title – I'm a fan. Yeah, I've seen some artwork shared from this, uh, and I think even some snippets of artwork from the death metal, and this is pretty dark, pretty intense, <laughs> just over the top like you would imagine the metal to be. So, Oh, yeah. We're talking Joker dragons. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, of course, you put dragons in anything, and I'm a fan. There so, you go. Sam, are we ready to get into our opening thoughts and grade for The Rocketeer? I'm ready. Lead us off, brother. All right. So, you know, when The Rocketeer was released, we were very much in a post-Burton Batman age. And so studios are really searching for that next comic book adaptation uh, for the big screen. And they found it in The Rocketeer. Uh, Rocketeer was first appeared in actually a comic from a comic book company called Pacific Comics, uh, Star Slayer issue two from 1982. So he'd been floating around, no pun intended, for a while. Um, and, you know, his creator used a lot of those old Hollywood influences, old serials, that golden age of Hollywood, even the pinup diva herself, Betty Page was an influence on Stevens. And I think this movie really captures those stories well. Um, I was also excited to see Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo as the screenwriters, uh, considering they also wrote the 90s Flash TV series. Mm. Uh, so they were the writers on that TV series, as well as uh, Viper and Human Target. <laughs> so they had some interesting 90s superhero lore. Uh, but with this movie, as much as I love it, as much as I loved revisiting it, I think I'm still going to give it a B plus. Okay. B plus is a very respectable grade. Now, Sam, you've alluded to this earlier. Uh, one of the movies that I revisited uh, this week was Spider-Man 3. Uh -huh. Not necessarily a great movie, but there's some good <laughs> stuff in there. But, you know, one scene was sticking out to me, and it was while, when the crane was wreaking havoc downtown. Uh -huh. And then you cut to the office photo shoot of Gwen Stacy and the photographer saying, I've got a secret. It's my copier. Sam, I've got a secret. I've never seen the Rocketeer. Oh, I have never seen this movie. And I'll tell you the reason why. 
graduating in the early 90s, being a child of the hard rock, you have the end of the bat dance, you have the end of pop rock, you're coming into grunge. You know, this is kind of the birth of hipster, Uh I think. And so uh, this movie didn't come out with a lot of good rapport that I remembered. I think it was kind of, uh, in, in my circles anyway, kind of had some shade thrown out. So it was just something I never really checked out. And even in the movies, in the movie Fanboys, mm-hmm. you know, they're talking about how cool Boba Fett is because he had a jetpack. And Windows said, well, so does the Rocketeer. You know, kind of throwing <laughs> some shade there. Right. But, uh, yeah, so this is a movie that I really didn't have a background with. I knew it had Jennifer Colley. I didn't even know Timothy Dalton was in this thing. Mm. And Paul Sorvino. Um, that was a, a, a good a high point for me. But this movie was a lot of fun. It really captured uh, an era, I felt. And I'm going to get into that here in a little bit, too. But it really captured something. But I'm going to give it a C+. Plus. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't above average. It wasn't awesome. It was kind of cool. I don't know if this is something I will revisit anytime soon. So before I say any more, C plus for the Rocketeer. <laughs> okay. So with our opening thoughts and grades out of the way, let's go ahead and break out our fans. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel. Three brothers who like each other but love comics. Alright, so Dwayne, you're going to be leading us off with the uh, fans. And I know you gave it a C+, but I'm interested to see... What you liked about this movie? Well, this movie, of course, was directed by Joe Johnston, who most notably recently has directed Captain America, the first Avenger. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the best war movies featuring a superhero ever. And of course, it's set in an era, so to speak. Uh, Of course, that uh, you know, Captain America is World War II. This is pre World War II, uh, and I really felt that he really caught that late 30s, early 40s. The music, the scenery, even the acting. This is a 40s movie. This movie is not acted like an 80s or a 90s movie. It is acted as a 1940s serial or a 1940s, you know standalone superhero movie. You know, you could almost see the Superman here. I love the art deco, the stylistic designs of the helmet and the jetpack. Um, I love seeing the planes, the flying and stuff. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but the, you know, uh, and of course, you know, as I'd mentioned Joe Johnston, you know, ha- having taken on this, this Rocketeer movie is, you know, famously a few years earlier, about a decade earlier, he designed a character who's quite famous for a jetpack malfunction. Hmm. And that would be a one Boba Fett, kind of going out like a punk, <laughs> as they say. 
<laughs> from a broken jetpack. But yeah, that that's really one of my biggest fans is just the era that this captures. You really, you know, get the feel. You know, I, I wasn't alive in the 40s. I've seen these movies. I have an imagination on what it was like. You know, you have all this World War II, all these great cars, all this cool Art Deco stuff. So that era, uh, I really thought this movie excelled. In, in showing us that era, the music, I mean, it's so, so, so pastoral and, and heroic. You know, it's, I kind of, I, I got the, you know, the Captain America feels just from the music. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that, that's my fan. All right. Awesome. You know, mine actually goes r- almost right along with that. Um, I love that this movie embraces that old Hollywood feel, but I like the fact that within this fictional steampunky fantasy type of world, they really play it as historical fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, We get appearances by actors playing Howard Hughes, Mm -hmm. W.C. Fields, even Lothar, you know, the look of of that actor is based on the forties horror movie star, Rondo Hatton. And so we get all of these types of things that are really nods to this golden age of Hollywood, these 30s and 40s movie, um, you know, and, and even little scenes, you know, like when um, Cliff is escaping the FBI uh, and he grabs the model uh, in Howard Hughes' hangar. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's just hilarious because you know he's like, "Oh, it will fly," and it's referring to the Spruce Goose, yeah. his Hercules H four plane that you know they didn't even know would ever get off the ground. So the historical fiction that was kind of played in this movie definitely, I, I like that part. So that's my biggest fan, I think. Yeah, it was great, you know, seeing, like you said, Howard Hughes. I was so excited to see him. I love his mythology, you know, all the all of the, mm-hmm. the mythos surrounding the man, um, all of his crazy eccentricities. Um, you know, you, like you said, you see W.C. Fields, um, Timothy Dalton's character, uh, Neville Sinclair, Neville. <laughs> is, you know, a an analog for an Errol Flynn. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, just, just, just swashbuckling, a heroic guy. And, you know, and how they do kind of play it as, you know, just kind of this, this little side history line that, that happens through there. So, yeah, there, that was a lot of fun. This, this film really did truly capture an era. Oh, yeah. Well, I do know for a fact in, the, in 38 that they had pots and pans. So let's stumble into the kitchen and find out what we can throw at this thing. All right. So we're back with our pan section. And, and I guess I get the, um, I, I get the, the uh, role of kicking this off. And Dwayne, you said that this movie was not acted like an 80s or 90s movie. And I agree with you completely. And I think that's why I knocked it down some in my grade. As much as I, I like the movie, um, the acting is a bit wooden. It's a bit over the top sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially the beginning of the movie, the, the, the acting almost causes the movie to plod along. I think the movie really picks up pace once he gets the jetpack, once he gets the helmet, those types of things. But I think it's that 
like I said, that acting, and, and I may be alone in this, and I'm interested to see even how you feel about it. I just don't think that Campbell and Connolly have any chemistry together yeah. on this screen. I mean, they're just flat acting, and I feel nothing from them. Yeah, <laughs> as gorgeous as they both are. You know, I mean, they're both very attractive, both very, even charismatic folks. Mm -hmm. But when you put them together, I know we had talked about how much a movie can suffer when the leads don't gel. Mm -hmm. And I'm with you. I didn't feel it. And I don't know that it was a a choice in acting, if it was a choice in directing, or if they just, you know, didn't dig each other. But, uh, yeah, they they were really not uh, uh, selling the roles and and I felt that a couple of the a couple times that Jennifer Connelly was just kind of sleepwalking through this thing, you know she was just you know and and I understand once I realized once I bought into oh this isn't a movie about the forties this is a forties movie you know <laughs> because you know like I said the directing the acting everything you know is the forties with modern production. You know, right. it's a forties movie with modern production. Essentially, once I bought into that, it brought my grade up to a C plus. You know, <laughs> because I was like you said, it can kind of plot along. You kind of get lost in a couple things, you know. But uh, my biggest pan uh, is not the wooden acting. It's not the uh, you know the awkward relationship with our leads. This movie did not stick the landing. Just like the Rocketeer to Jetpack. He did not stick the landing. At the time. <laughs> right. So as as this movie soars, and it gets great at times, and it's a lot of fun, you know, when, when you're having all these antics and you know, the jetpack's flying around the room. And, you know, I don't understand how in a hangar it can bounce off the walls, bounce off the ceiling, but go through <laughs> other walls. You know, like, you know, it was Captain America's shield. Captain America's shield. It's something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it just did not. It, it had this great premise. You had these great villains. You had, you know, you had the mafia, essentially. You had the FBI, you know, the references to J. Edgar Hoover. You had the <laughs> Nazis. You know, but it fails to bring it home. You know, you have this dust bowl. Uh, burgeoning Hollywood, you know, where it's, it's just all, you know, gold and dust and sand, you know, there's not the Hollywood we, we think of today, you know, it's still a very rural, very Western time yeah. in our country. And yeah, it just did not bring it home of, of all the greatness, you know, that, that happens. It just didn't bring it home. And, and like I said, I don't know if it was the acting or if it was the chemistry but there was something so big amiss in this movie that it just never landed. Yeah, uh, you know, I've, Paul Sorvino's turn at the end was a little too fast. Uh, you know, w- did Sinclair just have a troop of Nazis following him around all the time? <laughs> when he said the code word, they came out of the bushes. You know, were they just always kind of there? Just just his personal, you know, unit traveling around and... Yeah. And, that, and how did that work on set? You know, were they were they extras? You know, they 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 were they were camera people and gaffers. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it just yeah, there was just so much that didn't quite land right. Um, right. Yeah, there was there was so much good, but it didn't land right. So that's that's my pen. 
All right. Well, you know, like you said, it, it doesn't stick that landing. And, and I agree. You know, I think especially with movies from the 40s, especially fantasy or science fiction or action, sometimes you have to suspend belief. And just you had a harder time doing it with this movie, I think. For yeah. some reason, you, you couldn't cancel that out. Well, you I know? know Jamie has spoken at different times. You know, like you'll get a pass from people. Mm-hmm. on a thing or two you know you'll you'll get a you'll get a freebie you know okay we'll we'll buy that okay we'll buy that you know this movie just asks us to buy a little bit too much i think yeah. i <laughs> yeah. think so yeah but you know as much as we have uh, you know despaired this movie there was some great things in this movie so let's go get our hammer and nails go to the mantelpiece and hang some awards. So here we go. Okay, and we are back with our awards. Um, Sammy, I have our pile of uh, every movie consistent awards, and we also have our two special awards. Correct. So why don't you lead us off with performance? All right. So best performance. Uh, I had to give best performance to Alan Arkin as PV. All right. Um, Like I I talked about how – Campbell and Connolly were just a little too wooden for me as far as chemistry, but Alan Arkin was right on cue, I think, with this. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of him as an actor anyway, and this is probably the most toned-down role I've ever seen him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of times he's that little over-the-top type of character, maybe a little neurotic, uh, and just seeing him interact with Terry O'Quinn's Howard Hughes and you know this mechanic is showing Howard Hughes how he updated and changed you know the the, the jetpack and stuff like that the I Howard just, designed I, yeah. oh yeah I love those scenes and I, like I said I think Alan Arkin just really brought it as far as a performance well I'm going to agree that you have the right answer uh, he is exactly <laughs> who I had uh, you know uh it wasn't one of the leads who really stole this. And like you said, Alan, it took me a while to realize who I was watching because he is such a subdued role in here. You know, he's, Uh he's just kind of this quirky engineer mechanic who's got this brilliant mind for motors and design. And like you said, when he's showing Howard Hughes, what he'd done to modify his design uh, was really neat. Uh, he always had an idea. He always was there to fix the problem. He mm-hmm. always was there to bail out, um, you know, the, the lead character. And yeah, he was, he was great. So that's, he'd done a really, really great performance, especially being Alan Arkin and, and, you know, still kind of down the back some. Yep. <laughs> it, it took me a bit. It took me a bit to realize that. Uh, well, um, next up is best scene. Uh, the best mm-hmm. scene. Now, there's a lots of scenes. You have air races. You have the finding of the jetpack. You have police and mafia chases. You have battles. You have, you know, Frankenstein monster men invading, you know. <laughs> uh, 
But I love uh, just for all of the shenanigans that happen there for just the juxtaposition of the violence going on and the setting that it's in. But I love the fight in the dinner club. Okay. When when uh, <laughs> he comes in and he gets Jennifer Colino from her date with uh, Timothy Dalton and uh, he, you know, he, then they find out who he is. So he has to ditch. And I love that the, uh, the waiter's vest fits so well over his leather jacket. <laughs> and, you know, that was just so great. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a ton of fun because, you know, going, going up the laundry chute, going, uh, you know, through the kitchen, uh, across the dance floor, you know, the whole thing, you know, the shootout, the locking the doors, uh, you know, then the mafia getting in, him sending her out, running back in. That, that whole thing was just a really fun scene. Uh, that was probably one of the best times I had in this movie. That that and that's a good scene. And, and when he finally escapes, going through kind of like the skylight and stuff. Yeah, bust bust right through the center of the skylight. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a fun scene. Um, you know, for mine, I went a very subtle scene. So, like you said, there's a lot of of, of you know excitement in this movie in places, you know, but there's one scene that's so subtle, but it strikes me every time. Um, when, you know, the Zeppelin is escaping, you know, basically, you know, Jennifer Conley's character has been abducted Mm -hmm. and Cliff climbs to the top of the Griffith observatory. And there's this split second that he turns and does this half pose and you've got the flag behind him. Yeah. And it just feels like it's straight from a Dave Stevens pinup that would have yeah. been in one of the comics. And I loved that. I just thought that was such an interesting nod to, I guess, what would be probably a, a, a real dramatic scene in a comic that they tried to bring to this movie. So I love that. It's just that little half turn that he does and he's got his pistol out and yeah. then the flags behind him. And like I said, it's just just split second, but it's beautiful. Well, we all, you know, love the three-point landing that our comic heroes do, you know, or these heroic <laughs> flying, jumping into action poses that, you know, right. have become so iconic in their scenes. And with a comic, you have, you know, it molded to a page. You have it put on paper. So it's there for all time for us to see and observe. And I love when our comic book movies give us one of those. You know, and that's exactly what we got in that scene. You know, he's at the top of the tower. He's, you know, shadowed, you know, there with the flag. He's got, you know, his silhouette. He's, he's there. He's lit up perfectly. He's got the gun. He's ready to go into action. There's our hero. Yep. You know, yeah, that's, that's his hero shot. That's, that's, not, that's not the wrong answer. That's a really great scene. I like that scene. That's a really great scene. Well, Sam, of all of the characters in this movie... Who is the best character? I know okay. we talked about performance, but who is the best character? Okay, I did a little bit of a cheat on this one. Okay, well, at least I, it's I not me this time. A little sleight of hand, shall we say? We'll have to send Sam. We'll have to send Jamie the memo. It wasn't me. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> My f- the best character for me is the <laughs> Rocketeer when he's in costume with the helmet on. <laughs> I just think it's this beautiful image. I love the design. Um, you know, Campbell's Cliff Seacord is a bit stiff, as I've said, but that costume is amazing. No, the costume is uh, yeah. and, and, you know, 
they didn't mess with it. It's very, very close to Dave Stevens' original designs. And, and so it just, it makes for a very memorable, dramatic looking character. And that's why I had to go with best character as the Rocketeer when his helmet's on. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's true. It, it is the name of the movie and that's what was on the posters. That's you right. Know, that's right. With, guy, with his helmet on, <laughs> should, should give you a hint about his face acting. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going a little bit of a different role uh, here and not that I necessarily liked his character, but I really think he performed the character well. And I really think he, he acted his butt off was a uh, Timothy Dalton's Neville Sinclair, okay. uh, you know, being that thirties and forties swashbuckling, um, actor hero and he's just so full of himself um and i mean i timothy dalton he's a great actor he's a a heck of a personality but i mean i could see him just back there with an air compressor inflating his ego for this role (laughs) you know until it can't fit through the door Uh, he was just so much larger than life and uh, how he was uh you know acting all the time he was he was given the scenes and given the scenes and given the scenes, and uh, so that is that is going to be my favorite character. All right, <laughs> you know, and, and he did play it so well. I mean, he just and and I'm gonna I'll talk about that a little bit later uh, as one of our awards. But he just really embraced the role and just got into the schlocky '40s villain feel. And just went for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm up next with best quote. Uh, There was quite a few lines in here. I think they were wanting to stick a little bit more than they did. You know, you have that you have that kind of fast forties dialogue. You know, uh, at different times, and then you have the then you have the suave and smooth dialogue. And uh, so there was just so much great in here uh, with that. Uh, so much it was so characterized and so over the top. But I love the quotes, and, and I'm not going to go through them all, but when um, Timothy Dalton is trying to sweet talk uh, Jennifer Conley, and then she starts, oh, you said that in this movie to this actress. You said that in this movie to that actress. Just, just her always having that comeback to him. I thought I felt that his and her dynamic was more intense than, right. uh, than Conley and Campbell's were. Um, you know, they they had a lot more, uh, uh, f- uh, I guess, fireworks between them. Of course, you know, being a, a protagonist and antagonist is is a great place to have those. But yeah, when he's, you know, pulling out all of these little acting tropes from his leading man, leading lady times, and she's like, oh, you're pulling this on me, you know, and she's always <laughs> foiling him and just his frustration. I, I love those quotes. I love that. They're good. <laughs> all right. Um, so... I kind of went down to one that made me laugh and you talked a little bit about Paul Servino and him playing Eddie Valentine, the mobster, this quick turn. I agree with you. It's a quick turn, 
But the fact that he said, I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. <laughs> that was my number two. That was that my was... two quote. <laughs> and only Paul Servino could deliver that with the panache necessary to, to dr- get that Edward G. Robinson feel from the 30s and 40s. Yeah. And it was just so great. Yeah. I fell in love with him. Of course, missing him in this movie. I really fell in love with him in um, Romeo and Juliet, uh, Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he really kind of plays a similar feeling character. Just this kind of mob boss kind of, you know, guy uh, that's kind of stuck in the 40s. He, yeah. 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 I really, I really enjoyed him in that role. Um, I'm going to, I am going to pull a slight cheat here, Sam. Oh, and okay. uh, I'm going to throw out another quote. And it's not really a quote, but it, it kind of has its own language through the movie. And I spoke to it a little bit earlier, but the, the music. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just want to speak on how and how you have the musical themes and musical quotes throughout, you know, the heroic, the pastoral, um, you know, the, uh, the swashbuckling scenes. Uh, it really had that 40s live orchestra uh, thing going on there uh, I thought that was great so that is going to be an honorary quote if you don't mind and yes Jamie I'm cheating thank you <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just putting one in for Jamie that's all it yeah. is you know and you were talking about the music you know it, it was composed by James Horner yeah you know who who has done a number of, of various kind of you know role uh, you know as far as music and such so it's pretty cool to kind of see some of his maybe a little earlier work before I was paying attention to names like that. So, yeah, yeah, he's great. So next we have, uh, wow, I kind of remember that differently. Award. <laughs> so, uh, Sam, since you've actually seen the movie before and have a memory of it, why don't you lead us off here? Okay, you know I talked about. Alan Arkin as PV and how it was kind of a more subdued uh, acting performance by Arkin. You know, I, for some reason in the back of my head, I guess I kind of remembered him more as almost like a Doc Brown character, almost more mm. a nutty professor feel. And when I watched it this time, I was like, man, that, that that's not the, the neurotic character that for some reason I was thinking he was. And I may have been just conflating him with other roles that, that you know, Arkins played, but uh, that was probably mine. I, his portrayal of PV, I thought it was a little different than, than what it really was, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And he has, you know, he has done some, some pretty out there roles and this is coming straight off of that, you know, Nutty Professor Doc Brown era. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that, that you know, could have been very foremost in your mind there. But now I'm, I'm just going to briefly say, you know, a better than I remembered, you know, remembered it differently. You know, this this was a lot better than I remember it being advertised, you know, by, by friends and, and different different things. And I was actually kind of excited to watch it. I was, it was kind of, you know, coming up on my radar slowly, Um as as the years had passed, oh the Rocketeer, oh the Rocketeer, yeah the Rocketeer. So when you said let's do the Rocketeer, I'm like okay yeah let's do the Rocketeer. So um, I guess you know not having as fond a memory initially, um, 
this was, you know, and, and you know, I, I did enjoy it. It wasn't an awful movie that I was expecting um, from what I'd heard. But uh, that's going to be my remembered it differently thing. Now, okay. our last one is the best laugh. Oh, now, definitely. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure where Jamie pulled this award from. I, I, there's, <laughs> there's humor in here, but it, a laughs wasn't, you know, as, as foremost as I would have thought after, you know, from seeing this award here. But one thing that did make me laugh when I, when I realized what was going on and who it was, was when um, Sinclair is introducing uh, Conley to W.C. Fields. And W.C. Fields mm-hmm. is making references <laughs> to her bosom. And he's making references to, you know, I'm prepared to hear your entire life story. And, you know, coming, you know, in, in an era of the, of the you know, the, the Me Too movement and exposing, uh, you know, horribleness uh, in, in folks for what it is, uh, you know, by all accounts, he was just such a horrible, awful person, uh, especially to the to the female of our, uh, of our species. Uh, I, when he come on scene, it was like, Oh, this is not <laughs> going to be good. <laughs> and, and how, even in 1991, you know, it's kind of played jokingly instead of you know, like, horrifically as I can imagine it being. Right. But yeah, that, that was a thing that I kind of got a, got a, probably an inappropriate chuckle at. Right. <laughs> All right. You know, I think for my best laugh, you know, we were talking about Timothy Dalton really just dialing up and having fun in this role. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the biggest laugh for me is the fight on the Zeppelin, you know, and Cliff decks him and he's like, ah, you don't have your stunt double this time. And here is, you know, now revealed as the Nazi traitor. Still in pure Hollywood form, uh, mm-hmm. hits him back and goes, I do my own stunts. And it was like, like I said, I mean, he, he had already started adopting almost a German accent, but mm-hmm. then he falls back into that, that over dramatic kind of feel when he delivers that line. And I just got such a kick out of that. <laughs> yeah. It made me laugh. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was one of those roles. I, was, I think that was an eye roll for me, but yeah, it was kind of like, <laughs> okay, okay, buddy. Yeah, a little pre Tom Cruise, uh, doing my own stunts there. <laughs> yeah. But you know, this is a movie that has a lot of heart. It has a lot of humor and daggone it. It has jetpacks. That's right. It has jetpacks. So, you know, people flying. An actor who took to the skies in the Matrix flew away with our hearts and imaginations. Keanu Reeves, the Rocketeer. How do they fit together? Jamie was kind enough to put his Keanu connection down in text form. Sammy, would you be so kind as to deliver Jamie's eloquent soliloquy of Keanu connectiveness. I will, sir. So, and I quote, there are unsung heroes that too often get forgotten and overlooked. Middle relievers in baseball, punters in football, inkers in comics, editors in podcasting. Right, Dwayne? You get the idea. 
Well, in film, there are a lot of those roles. We all focus on directors to accomplish the vision of the movie, but they're too big and too complicated to be made without help. So Jamie has provided us with all of this preamble because he had to dig really deep into the credits again for our Keanu connection this week. Ian Bryce served as the unit production manager on The Rocketeer. Since then, he's got on to a very successful career as an executive producer. But one of his first executive producing credits was on Speed with our beloved Keanu. And that is our Keanu connection. <gasps> and we go back to the speed wheel. That's such a great movie, though. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I am perfectly fine with going back there. And yes. I, I, you know, it, it amazes me that any movies are made. You know, when you when you look at all of the production, you know, that we even do with this little show. Oh, yeah. And you think of all of the people in their credits and how they, you know, wrangled that cast of cats you know together <laughs> and, and making them making them happen so that that was a great keanu connection so that was a ton of fun definitely well, well Dwayne, that leads us to our next quest and i believe this next one is your pick so what did you choose sir well, I chose a, a, hopefully a timely movie. Hopefully this doesn't get uh, delayed too much more. Uh, it would have been more timely if the delays hadn't happened. But a Christopher Nolan flick, as, as we're waiting on Tenet to be revealed to us. Um, another movie that's kind of slipped under my radar that I've never seen. Inception. Uh-huh. 2010. Uh, Christopher Nolan flick. Inception. Ah, so if, uh, and Dwayne, let's see, do we know where that's at? Is that available on streaming anywhere? Oh, yes, it was streaming. If I'm not mistaken, that is available on Netflix. Okay. Yes. Just one. Okay. So that is available on Netflix. So if you are following along with the show and you want to uh, watch and get ready for uh, our discussion on Inception, do that. But up until that time, Dwayne, what are we going to do? We're going to dream about dreaming, about dreaming, about something. I don't know. I fell asleep. Keep it nerdy. (laughs) 